Chris, welcome to episode 314 of X-Lapsed, where I guess it's, uh, it's X-Lapsed Pie Day, isn't it? Um, well, I'm here reporting live from the, uh, the, the ever-squeakier chair. I got a new chair a few months ago. The damn thing is already squeaking. I gotta maybe look into some WD-40 or um, just having a chair built out of stone so it can't squeak so much. I don't know. Anyway, today we're getting back into physical media here. Uh, as I mentioned a couple episodes ago, DCBS did deliver my package, and uh, I discovered that pretty much, as far as I know, we got all our Xbooks. Uh, we got everything for January, and I think we got everything for the first week of February shipped to us, so we're set for the next little while. Now, as this is like the premiere episode for the uh, for the month of January's books, we usually do Marvel previews. At the end of this episode, unfortunately, despite the fact that TCBS did send me all the X stuff, well, they didn't send me Marvel previews, so um, we're not going to be doing that today. Now, I'm guessing that I'll probably be out and about at some point over the next few days and over the weekend especially, so um, I'll do my best to pop into a comic shop. I do have to track down one book that they slided me on, and that was uh, Death of Doctor Strange, X-Men Black Knight, which... Still shows as being ordered, kind of like a like a Marvel Voices, uh, which one was it? Identity, I think. That one still shows as being, you know, in my order, <laughs> not yet canceled, just waiting to ship from six, seven months ago. So the Black Knight and X-Men Death of Doctor Strange one-shot is another that's just sitting in the queue waiting to not come out. So I have to hit the store for that one, and while I'm out, hopefully I will come across a copy of Marvel Previews so we can handle that in the coming episodes. But for today, let's kick things off with the flagship book. This is X-Men Volume 6, Number 6. Had a March 2022 cover date. The story's called Whatever Happened to Captain Krakoa. And of course, that's a reference to many, many Silver Age uh, DC comics with the Whatever Happened to's. Uh, Probably the one we all think of is um, the one that kind of wrapped up the pre-crisis Superman with uh, Alan Moore's Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Uh, Some of us might think of the uh, not quite so good, but we have to say it was good because Neil Gaiman wrote it, uh, Whatever Happened to the Cape Crusader. That happened uh, after uh, Grant Morrison killed Batman like twice. I don't know. Anyway, this issue was written by Jerry Duggan with art by Pepe Larraz. Colors, Marty Gracia. Letters, VCs, Clayton Cowles. Designs, Tom Muller. Head of X, still? Hickman? Is he always going to be in the credits? Uh, edits, Amaro White, Sabalski, cover price 4 bucks. This went on sale January 5th of 2022. So this is the first 2022 shipped book that we've ever covered. Anyway, we open 
with a cat caught up a tree and two kids trying to get it to come down. Now the cat is ultimately saved by... Captain Krakoa. Huh. From here, we bebop around and see CK doing a bunch of heroic stuff. It's kind of like a Superman montage, doing, you know, you know, good deeds around the city. He even runs into Spider-Man, who uh, is pretty surprised to see this fresh new face on the block. And uh, Spidey even says that he's usually the welcoming committee around here, which, um, yeah, he, he usually is, isn't it? It seemed like uh, he and Superman would be, like, the welcoming committee for a new property or a new character where... Like, the second or third issue of whatever book they were in, there would be a guest spot by Superman or Spider-Man. Maybe that's a reference to that. I, I couldn't tell you. Anyway, from here, we get our double-page spread of roll call and cred, and our characters include Cyclops, Sunfire, Sink, Captain Krakoa, and Fei Long. From here, we jump ahead to one week later, or one week from now, actually, which I guess might matter. Anyway, we are at the Quiet Council Chamber on Krakoa, and from the looks of it, this might be pre-Inferno? I mean, we've only got the Gang of Ten here, so no Colossus, no Destiny. And I tell you what, it, it's really something that we have to pay so much attention to the background in these panels just to try and guess when these stories are taking place. Uh, I digress. I mean, that train has long left the station, hasn't it? Anyway, the Council is trying to impress upon Cyclops that Captain Krakoa must be added to the X-Men. Now, we're getting kind of a nebulous mixed message here, as uh, at first blush it would appear as though the Council is trying to enforce membership upon the expected-to-be-independent X-Men team, which, you know, we figured was a no-no, right? Now, I think that's the impression we're supposed to get here, but uh, this will... it ain't exactly the case, and this will all sort of kind of make sense as we move forward. Now, Cyclops is pushing back here, uh, but he's reminded of the third law of Krakoa, which we all know is to respect this sacred land. I'm not sure how this applies, but uh, I guess we'll play along. Maybe it's like a, uh, maybe that's how the Quiet Council, like, God wins an argument. It's like, wait, 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 remember the laws, and we just don't question it after that. Oh, also, Xavier talks about how impressed they are by all the good that the new X-Men have done. Which we have to assume probably happened mostly off-panel, right? <laughs> because we sure haven't seen them do a whole heck of a lot. I mean, hell, the only thing the readership seems to care about as it pertains to this team is the fact that there's another stupid-ass election on the horizon. We don't really care about the comics. It's like, hey, we get to vote on social media. Anyway, it would seem as though Cyclops is trying to get the Quiet Council to uh, share some sort of information with the world at large. To which Emma says the rest of the world ain't ready to hear it, so... Uh, I guess Jerry Duggan gets his Emma Frost bonus in his check this time out. Now, she doubles down on this by reminding Scott that Krakoa offers the world life-changing medicine and whiskey, and still, humans aren't on board. So what he is asking for is totally outrageous. Now, what is it he's asking for? Well, we don't know for sure, but we will probably be able to make an educated guess out the other end of the issue. So from here, the Council votes, and all but Sinister vote yay, and so uh, Captain Krakoa is now officially a member of the X-Men, whatever that means. We scene shift to Fei Long, our friend Fei Long, as he makes his way to Phobos, the moon of Mars. Now, we've been getting bits and pieces of Fei Long's story throughout this volume. Uh, what we know by now is that, on behalf of Orcus, he's going to head toward Mars Arako. He, of course, modified his body to be able to live on Mars, and spent much of his adult life trying to concoct a way to do what the mutants did between dinner and dessert during the Hellfire Gala. 
We learn here that it took him a little under three weeks to make the voyage from Earth to Phobos. And uh, we see that his plan is to annex the moon Phobos, which the mutants do not take kindly to. But, I mean, he's only doing exactly what they did, right? Just uh, on a little bit of a smaller scale. Anyway, Sunfire, who I'm guessing two-thirds of the readership already forgot was a member of this team... And hey, also, Rogue, despite getting more dialogue in a single panel in Fantastic Four Reckoning War Number 1 than she's gotten in this entire volume, is also apparently on this team. You remember how uh, we were all so excited, or the fans claimed to be very excited by this new team? All the stands were very, very happy. How'd that work out? So anyway, Sunfire is here to confront Fei Long, and it doesn't go all that well. Now, Fei Long comes across as, like, completely aloof. Doesn't take Shiro seriously at all. I feel like this might be a commentary on a dude in the real world who's trying to make civilian space travel a thing. Maybe? I don't know. I mean, this is Duggan, who has become quite unsubtle in his writing of late, so we just don't know. Anyway, Fei Long pretty much tells Shiro that he's going to annex the moon, and, uh, well, that's just the way it's going to be. And uh, it's quite hypocritical for the mutants to be against this, which I think is the point. I, I kind of hope it's the point. Anyway, from here we hop to an info page, a mostly blank info page, and it's Fei Long announcing his annexation of Phobos. Now, this is a reworking of the info page that we got in Planet-Sized X-Men, where the mutants announced their claiming of Mars to the Soul System. Back to it, we join Iska the Unbeaten and a new beastly character called Vornak. And now Vornak heads from Mars Arako to Phobos to take the human upstart out. But... It doesn't really work all that well for him, because uh, Fei Long, well, he's not just a human, he's actually post-human. And he takes Vornak out pretty handedly. Sunfire, seeing this, decides that uh, discretion is the better part of valor, and he reports into Storm that this whole operation went a little bit caca. From here, we see that Fei Long and Orcus have, in fact, colonized Phobos. Now, they set up a Dyson Sphere around this moon, which sounds like something that uh, Hickman would be aroused by. We also see that Nightcrawler's corpse was discovered on Phobos, which is a callback to Way of X number 5, where Kurt stopped the moon from crashing into Mars Arako, which... My main takeaway here is, hey, I guess somebody in the X office actually read Way of X, so that's a good thing. From here we go to an info page, and it's that blurred Murdoch space lawyer ad? Again? Somebody must think this is hilarious. I swear, this gets less and less funny every time we see it, and also more and more pointless. It's like we're just wasting pages here with this LOL random BS. Anyway, from here we go back to comics, and we're at the treehouse in New York, where uh, people are mourning the apparent death of Cyclops. Huh. We got vigils, uh, shrines, stuff like that. Captain Krakoa lands and chats up a civvy who claimed that Cyclops was their favorite X-Man ever. Cap promises the tot that he'll make sure nothing like this ever happens again. We follow the captain into the treehouse, where it's revealed that he is actually, well, Cyclops himself. Well, so much for my guess that it was Fei Long. I, I think I made that guess a couple episodes ago, or a couple of issues ago, I should say. Here we see Sink, who uh, gets a single panel to remind us that he is a part of this team as well. Now, upon noting that uh, Cyclops is dressed as Captain Krakoa, he can tell that the Quiet Council turned down his request. Scott excuses himself to the super-secret subway exit so he can go clear his mind and uh, breathe in rat feces. Uh, while down there, he calls into Ben Urich, claiming to be a friend of Scott Summers, and he's got some hot information. Urich, however, uh, doesn't seem to remember anything about his previous chats with Cyclops and claims that they've actually never even met. 
So either he's lying, or someone done mind-wiped him. And that is where we leave it. Now next episode we close out our time with Marauders, like three episodes before we bring it back. But for now, let's uh, talk about this um, moderately confusing issue of X-Men. Um, now, I think I think I got stuck on uh, one main point in this book, and it's the same main point that I've been stuck on ever since we started this volume, really. Uh, and I mean, it prompts a question. Do we really need to talk about how death doesn't matter in the fantastical Marvel Universe again? Because superhero life and death has been rendered meaningless. You know, I feel like like Marvel editorial is trying to eat their cake and have it too here. You can't devalue something so much and then make it a plot point. You know, I, I feel like this is just very, very unbalanced. And the fact that I can't get past that is... I mean, that's not an indictment on the story quality. It's more a personal thing. I just can't get past the fact that, you know, current year comics and comics going back, you know, as almost as long as I've been alive have used death as it's not even a plot device, just like a way to get to the next issue. It holds no value, it has no import, it's not shocking, it's not surprising, it's not even like something that makes us, you know, open our eyes anymore. It's just something we've come to expect. So to make it the linchpin of a story and of like a, a mystery is, I don't know, it comes across pretty weak. So um, let, let's break down this whole Captain Krakoa deal here. Now, if we go back to the beginning, uh, it looks like Scott was possibly petitioning the council to just reveal the resurrection protocols. Now, I can't say that for 100% certain, but that's kind of the feeling that I got. You know, where Emma's like, hey, look at all the good we've tried to do, and they weren't ready for that. They're certainly not going to be ready to hear that mutants have conquered death or... However we want to word that, right? Um, I'm, I'm guessing that what we're seeing here is the seeds of the Judgment Day crossover event thing that we're going to have foisted upon us this summer. Because I guess jobbing the X-Men to the Inhumans a few years ago wasn't good enough. Now it's time to job them to another group that nobody on the planet cares about in the Eternals. Anyway, so here's the gimmick as I understand it. Scott has to be dead and be replaced by Captain Krakoa for reasons. <laughs> Um, to hide the resurrection protocols because for some reason Scott Summers, out of every character in the Marvel Universe, is the poster child for dying and coming back to life, or the focal point, I should say. So, I mean, we've said this from the start. Every single character in the Marvel Universe, except Storm, has died and come back to life. Usually many times, and usually in very public ways. So, and this is me getting stuck on a, on one little thing here, but why is this a big deal? This isn't even the first time Scott's died and come back. I mean, this is an understandable premise for a story anywhere but in a shared universe comic book where death just happens constantly. And I mean, let's, let's take Scott out of it for a second. Let's take Scott, let's take all the big-name X characters out of the equation for, for a moment. You don't think that people are going to realize... That this island nation of Krakoa started off with a population of, like, a few thousand. And then grew into, like, a few million? Like, where did these mutants come from? This isn't a baby boom. These are full-grown, fully-powered mutant adults. This just doesn't work. And again, if I was able to get out of my own way and, you know, suspend disbelief... I mean, it's weird to say suspend disbelief when we're talking about superhero comic books, but... 
If I was able to do that, sure, I'd probably enjoy this a lot more, but I can't. I can't because I, maybe it's just a uh, knowing how the sausage is made and getting really, really annoyed by the fact that mainstream comics is so bereft of ideas that we keep resorting to killing characters and bringing them back instead of telling stories. I don't know, I don't know. Let's get back to Scott here for a second. I mentioned, like, he is the focal point, right? Why is Scott the bridge too far on a very public team that also includes Jean Grey? Who, I mean, Jean Grey, despite all of my kvetching that she hasn't died as often as most Marvel characters, she's someone that most folks seem to associate with death and rebirth. I don't know, gang, and, and like I said, I'm a little stuck on the. I mean... Even the way we're doing this now, where, where Scott is dead and then we're going to tell the story about how Scott died, they've done that before. That's, that's what happened during the Inhumans vs. X-Men thing, or the Death of X story, where he was dead and then we had to go back in time to find out how they killed him. We're getting the same thing again. It's, I don't know, I don't know. Um, let, let's, let, me, let me drop this for a bit. Let me drop the whole Cyclops death rebirth thing, and let's shift over to uh, Fei Long and Orcus, which... I can't believe that Fei Long and Arcus were the highlight of a book <laughs> Because uh, I like this I like the idea of like uh, of going in and taking over a moon Doing the same exact thing that the X-Men did Or that the, the mutants did, I should say It's a very passive-aggressive thing to do You know, um, it's like, yeah, we're just gonna <laughs> We're gonna set up shop here on the, uh, on the satellite of the planet you took over And I don't know, we're just gonna hang out here you know, we're just going to post up. Is it an act of aggression? Kinda. Was the X-Men or the mutants taking over and colonizing Mars an act of aggression? Arguably. It's, uh, I think this is uh, probably the more interesting bit of this story. Added to the fact that, uh, that you know, uh, what's his face? Fei Long discovered Nightcrawler's corpse. Which really adds fuel to the fire that there is something hinky with mutant resurrection since Nightcrawler... Has been brought back, and we even saw him in the Quiet Council Chamber in this very issue. So, if I were to postulate how this story is going to play out, I would suggest that it's going to seem as though this Captain Krakoa ruse will work. And just when we think everything is going to be cool, that's when the Nightcrawler corpse will be uh, introduced into evidence. And then rather than get an you know, interesting story out of that, we'll just jump right into the Avengers Eternals thing. So I guess we will have to wait and see on that. Uh, one last thing. Um, now, if mind-wiping is an option, which it almost certainly is with what happened to Ben Urich, why didn't they just do that? You know, uh, Professor X has really never had any qualms about mind-wiping people. So it's like, if you can take the inconvenient or problematic people out of the equation by mind-wiping, why didn't they just do that? I mean, like I said, I'm getting stuck on some elements of the story. I, I can't say it's a bad story, because it's not. It's a, it's a good story. There's some clever bits to it. I want to see how it plays out. The art is phenomenal. But there are these little bits that I can't get out of my own way enough to, uh, to allow myself to enjoy. And it really feels like, um, it's like we're trying to build a skyscraper on Swampland here. At least that's how I feel. It just It's very, very wobbly. And it relies upon the reader to basically forget everything we know about shared universe comics and just look at this as as being in a vacuum. And unfortunately, I can't do that. But I think that's uh, where I'll stop for now because I probably would just uh, 
start repeating myself over and over again. Um, we're not too far out from the next issue of X-Men. I do have it in the pile, so we will be getting to it uh, in, in the coming week or two. So hopefully we'll get something satisfying out of that. Uh, I, I suppose time will tell. For now, though, let's hop into the mailbag here, and we'll talk to Evan first, who's uh, writing in to discuss X-Men Unlimited number 13 and 14. He says, It's great to see Nicias and the Juggernaut back, though I'm 50-50 on Deadpool. It depends on how he's used, and so far, so good. I'm really starting to like Primus. I know the friendly, polite murder bot is hardly an original take, but it works for me. I could take or leave the scrolling Deadpool regenerating head bit, but uh, him listing all the samples he gave in panel after vertical panel actually got a laugh out of me. I can see how it wouldn't land for everyone, but at least it wasn't another nine-panel grid, am I right? And yeah, you're right, uh, but um, now, now I'm only going to see the, the finger flick gimmick as an approximation of the nine-panel grid, which it, it kind of is, right? I mean, it, oof, it does have the same effect on me. Um, as we found out at the very end of our uh, Paradise Lost discussion, that, uh, you know, that scrolling gimmick where Deadpool is naming all the samples that were taken from him, uh, that actually pays off. So I'm okay with it in retrospect. At the time, I thought it was just like a little too much. But now, knowing, you know, the, the big twist at the end of this, it, it does work for me. Uh, Evan continues, I missed the X-Men Christmas story that you covered, but I was excited to hear that it was written by Ryan North. He's uh, the one who wrote Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, and have I ever mentioned that I'm a big fan? And yes, yes you have. Evan says, I can, I get why it didn't work for you, but I'd like to offer an explanation for at least the continuity inconsistencies, which are jarring to those paying attention. I think it was an alternate reality. My first guess was the Spider-Man Renew Your Vows timeline, where the X-Men stayed in their 90s garb, and the Civil War never happened. Well, the Marvel one, anyway. But then I remember that Wolverine and Jean ended up together in it. And I don't think he'd be rendezvousing with Mystique on Christmas Eve in that timeline. So, maybe it's that? Maybe it's X-Men 92? Either way, the Cyclops is tight t-shirt made me laugh. And, um, I'm pretty sure in that one paragraph you put more thought into the continuity than anybody involved with creation of that story did. Now, if I were to piggyback your theory on alternate uh, timeline here, alternate reality, I'd probably fall into the X-Men 92 one as well, which... If you remember X-Men 92, uh, that was basically LOL reference the comic book. I felt it was a sub-fanfic in quality. It just really didn't land for me. I'm sure there's folks out there who really enjoyed it, but uh, not my cup of tea at all. Though I do have very low tolerance for, for LOL random comedy, so that could be it. But um, thank you so much for, uh, for checking in on that one, Evan. Next up, Andrew Franklin talking about X-Men Unlimited number 19, where he says, I think that this story is a perfect fit for the Unlimited style. It's a pretty good story, it's not perfect, but it's not offensively awful, like other stories. I think if this were a $5 an issue limited series, it would be received a lot more harshly, which is why I think this is the first X-Men Unlimited story that actually works. Hopefully we get more in the future that are at least on par with this. And you know, it's uh, one of those things where I agree that this is... This is the kind of story that the that the unlimited line should be telling. But as as I think I mentioned um, either last episode or the episode before that, it was clear to me, and I mean, I'm an idiot. I don't know anything. But uh, my my hot take is that they adapted this from a fully written five or six issue script, which made it not flow quite as well as it probably should have and, and could have had it been written for the Unlimited style to begin with. Like, we wouldn't have had the comedy rejoinders that I that I loved so much. 
I'd say we probably wouldn't have had a chapter that was dedicated to reminding us that Nazis are bad, but uh, but seeing as though this is a current year Marvel book, I'm sure that very, very brave take would have been included somewhere in the print edition if that had come out. So yeah, I mean, my problem with Paradise Lost isn't as a story, it's the, it's the pacing. Uh, it didn't need eight parts. I'd argue that it didn't need four. So I think that's my main, and probably my only problem with the entire Paradise Lost endeavor is that it took way too long to get through and the payoff really wasn't worth the journey, which I guess makes it like a lot of modern comics. I don't know. But uh, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on that one, Andrew. Uh, finally, we got Billy D talking Life of Wolverine number two. And he says, hey, Chris, just my two cents, but you're probably better off leaving Romulus nebulous. I actually just sold my Wolverine Origins run on eBay sometime last year, and it was very easy to part with. I did enjoy an issue here and there, especially the Ruby Thursday arc. But overall, it was mediocre at best, and as with a lot of Marvel books in the past 20, 30 years, they didn't stick the landing. Again, these are just my thoughts. Others' mileage may vary. And, you know, I mentioned uh, there was a couple of reasons why I really couldn't get invested in Wolverine Origins. Um, The first one was... Another instance of me not being able to get out of my own way I didn't think it was something we needed It was was certainly something I didn't want You know, you take a character like Wolverine Who, for most of his existence His... The main thing about Wolverine is that we didn't know about Wolverine Like, we didn't know everything And we wanted to know everything And, uh, you know, it makes you think of the old Stan Lee quote Where it's like, never give the fans what they think they want Because where do you go from there? You know, you you totally lift the veil on Wolverine, and it's like, well, where do you... It's done at that point. The mystery's over. There's... The hook is just... is is out of the fish at that point. And we know everything. And, and I mean, we can add things, of course. It's comics. It's comics that, that don't ever end. So, of course, they're going to add things to it. But the fact that Marvel were publishing an ongoing series dedicated to murdering that mystery really just caused me to disengage completely. I mean, added to the fact that we had another Wolverine ongoing, in addition to the main book and the two or three miniseries that were going on at any given time, it's just way too much Wolverine. So much so that uh, often these books would contradict or just, like, roll over one another. It was really a rough time if you were a uh, a fake-ass Wolverine historian. It, there was a lot of information to try to parse and get through. It was a lot of stuff. Um, now, the other reason why I wasn't so keen on uh, Origins was uh, I mentioned I, I wasn't a big fan of Daniel Way's writing. I'm sure he's an absolutely lovely guy, but um, not a writer whose work inspired me to want to pick up more of his work. And I mean, you know, different strokes, different folks, mileage may vary, all that kind of stuff. He's kind of like the mid-2000s version of Cullen Bunn for me. I, I could never get into Cullen Bunn's work. I, and I've never read his indie or uh, creator-owned stuff, which I hear is much better. I, I've only read the Marvel stuff and, I, and some of the DC stuff, and I did not care for it. But anyway, I'm not planning on covering Wolverine Origins anytime soon. Uh, I might have to dig into it uh, during this Life of Wolverine story we're getting on Unlimited that might facilitate me digging into, you know, the pile of them that I have laying around here. But uh, as far as an actual, you know, reading project, I guess unless the Essential X-Lapse makes it up to episode 4,512, or if I, you know, ever launch the, you know, Ride or Die Wolverine podcast, then we will uh, <laughs> we'll worry about that then. But until then, we will heed Billy D's advice 
and keep uh, Romulus somewhat nebulous and, until we need to pull him off the shelf and uh, and dig into him any deeper. But uh, thank you so much for writing in, Billy, and uh, for facilitating that uh, odd tangent. Now, one more thing before we go. We do have a little bit of uh, X-Men news. Doesn't really pertain to the show, but it is X-related all the same. Um, now, if you've been doing pre-orders for your for your Marvel and X books of late, you might have noticed that there was a book missing from uh, from the pile, and that book was X-Men Legends. Well, X-Men Legends is gone, but it's coming back with a new number one. What? We really need a new friggin' number one for X-Men Legends? Part of me thinks that Marvel realized that uh, people only bought that first issue of X-Men Legends. I I think me and like 15 other people are the only ones who own the rest of it. Though, in fairness, they did kick the volume off hot with the Adam X story, so um, I guess it makes sense that that was kind of the only, you know, sort of kind of X-Men Legends essential story that you might want from that volume, but... We're getting another volume. Uh, it's kicking off in May, and it's uh, starting off with a story by, of all people, Roy Thomas, whose work we've been covering over in the Essential X-Lapsed program, and uh, who doesn't seem to have all that much of an affinity for these characters, but um, sure, why not? We'll see what happens here. I haven't looked any deeper into the news. I don't know what story he's going to be picking up on. I don't know what era we're going to be placed in. All I know is that uh, he's writing it, and it's coming out in May. But with all that said, I think that is where we'll leave it for today. Now, I can't imagine anybody out there would like to get a hold of me, but in the odd event that you do, please feel free to. I encourage it. You can find me several different ways. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, Instagram at 90sXmen. You can send an email to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com or call into the X-Labs voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. Blog post, show notes, chrisisoninfiniteearths.com, Facebook, 90sXmen, Complete audio archives anywhere you find noise and chrisandreggie.podbean.com. And finally, there is the Patreon if you want to throw a little bit of support my way. That is patreon.com slash xlapsed. But here's where I stop talking. <laughs> I want to thank you all so much for choosing to spend a little bit of your day with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. Oh